It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back to Money for Lunch. It's always, always good to have you guys here. Today, I'm being joined by Norm Blumenthal. He is a, uh, one of America's most trusted lawyers in the area of labor um, and a consumer, as well as a consumer advocate. So we're, he's going to be joining us in a few minutes. Um, interestingly enough, uh, there is, uh, and you've probably seen this uh, as well in uh, the news, uh, we're going to be talking about what's happening with this um, uh, college athletes uh, having a right to uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, earn money, and uh, this is becoming a uh, a big deal. Um, and so uh, I think it's going to be it's going to it's going to be interesting. It's going to I think have a huge impact on uh, the way college ball college sports. I'm sorry is is being handled. Um, anyway, uh, let's go to the quote of the day. Uh, the quote of the day, uh, leadership is not about you. It's about in, investing in the growth of others by Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard and I co-wrote a book together many years ago. Um, and, uh, this guy is just an awesome, wonderful individual, uh, very kind, very patient, um, and uh, was also the first person to ever uh, write a book. Um, uh, it uh, would call it, uh, he made a record for writing the smallest book. I think it was like a, like 98 pages, might've been a hundred pages. The, uh, the smallest uh, business book, he uh, sold it for 20 bucks, which is a lot of money for that size of a book. Know what I mean? And, uh, and it took off. Uh, the 10-minute manager, one-minute manager, thank you, the one-minute manager took off. It was self-published. Then it got picked up by uh, a publishing house, and Ken Blanchard ended up writing. He's, I don't know how many books he's written, but he's written multiple New York Times best-selling books. Leadership is not about you. It's about investing in the growth of others. Again, by, by uh, Ken Blanchard. Love that quote. All right, let's get the party started. Norm Blumenthal joining me today. Norm Blumenthal, attorney for workers and consumers, selected as one of the top attorneys in Southern California. Also in 2017, Norm was inducted and recognized as one of America's most trusted lawyers in employment law. Norm Blumenthal is a regular here on Money for Lunch. Always, always good to have you on the show. Welcome back, Norman. Thanks, Bert. Nice to be here. You know, it's one of those things, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> and, we, and we got a couple topics today. The first one, like, as you mentioned, is, uh, is uh, indentured servitude in college. And I think that's on the way out. And uh, what's happening in California, California is the uh, first state to uh, pass a law that uh, college athletes, um, effective 2023, will be entitled to have an agent, 
and uh, obtain endorsements uh, for themselves and um, actually make money as a, by reason of their participation in college sports. So that's the first step. Uh, the next step in all likelihood will be that uh, these athletes uh, that are not of the endorsement quality will also be entitled to at least minimum wage for the hours that they do spend um, working and, and training for the athletics to uh, support the colleges. Colleges today make billions and billions of dollars off of the uh, labor of uh, what are called student-athletes. Right. And I, th- and I think they, the, the problem is is that they're more athletes than they are students, and uh, it's, it's really a job. And it, it, the, so what we end up having is, is these grand schools that can, can take them in and, and give them their program where they concentrate on the sports. They're the ones that uh, are, are successful in college athletics. And in California, that has uh, kind of taken a toll on the uh, California athletic program. So uh, what we've done in California, and probably happened in the rest of the country, is we're going to um, entice the uh, high-quality um, student-athlete to attend college uh, in California because not only can you participate, for example, in uh, college uh, basketball, but you could also uh, have an agent and obtain endorsements, which would certainly give uh, California a lift uh, above the um, other schools in the country in terms of attracting uh, high-caliber athletes to uh, participate in this entertainment field. And that's that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and here's here's what a lot of people need to understand because I've heard some people say, well, the, you know, these guys are college students. They they get all these uh, spiffs and 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 all these other benefits, and and they should not be allowed to make this additional money. And I agree with you. I agree with California. First of all, just because you're a top collegiate athlete today doesn't mean that that's going to automatically transfer to the next level, to a pro career. We've seen a lot of people who were great on the college level, and for whatever reason, they fizzle out on the pro level. Uh, Maybe they got burnt out. Maybe, you know, whatever the reason, they just don't make it. And so maybe all they're going to be good for is that collegiate run. And it seems crazy to me, Norman, that somebody's going to tell you that you, as a human being here in the great United States, cannot make money off your own sweat and labor and likeness, that's crazy. I mean, that would be like telling you know somebody like Mark Zuckerberg or, let's say, Bill Gates, who made their money, started their, their company while they were in college, that, hey, I'm sorry, you can't do that. you got to wait. you got to wait till you're done with college. And, you know, obviously both those guys ended up dropping out. But still – it's it just it's ludicrous to me, and I can't believe that it's taken so long. And I also can't believe I want to get your take on this. Um, I understand why universities don't want to do this because, as you said, they pocket billions of dollars, and so that's going to hurt them a little bit, but not much. But I can't believe that the uh, that the NCAA is you know, also making a big stink about it. I guess they make their money off the universities. That's how they get their money. So. Again, um, you know, I, I don't see this being a big deal. I think, it, I think that this law that California is passing, as you said, 
uh, is going to go nationwide. But give me your thoughts. Do you think that the NCAA has a chance of stopping this? No, I don't. I don't think they'll be able to stop it because California, so goes California, so goes the rest of the country. Other states will pick up on this. And I I take a different point of view in terms of uh, colleges will make less. I think they're going to end up making more because in the end, especially with basketball, this will keep the um, the, the great players um, at a young age who participate in basketball in the college system until they can make the kind of money from their endorsements in the pro system. So I think we're going to see a lot more uh, more participation, a lot of great players participating around the country, especially in uh, basketball. And the same thing I think holds true for football. Some of these uh, uh, quarterbacks just aren't ready for prime time when they switch over uh, too soon in, into football, as we've seen, you know, in the pro sports. And you're 100% right. There's no reason, you know, the old saw is, oh, well, they're getting an education, you know, so therefore um, they, with the free education, they, they should have to put their uh, labor in um, as, as an athlete. That's re- ridiculous. First of all, most of these kids, their education, they're taking phys ed as their major. Yeah. So the, the classes they're going to are all studying the human body and, and physical education and how it works and the exercise programs. So it's a, it is part of the same system, um, and that's what they're doing because they're, they're basically participating. They're giving them the right to attend the college, but they aren't giving them any of the benefits that they should have a, a, in a capitalist system to make the kind of money they should make. As as you say, at an early age, I think you're going to see it. I think it's going to be all over the country. The NCAA, they're just the uh, you know speaking voice of of um, the, what's what's currently in vogue, the conservative approach to uh, well, let's keep it like it is. We're the ones making all the money, so you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it is broke. It's broke for the kids that end up getting injured in in um, college and can't participate anymore. So there's a, a real problem with that. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to change. I think California will lead the way on that one. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And, again, uh, it, it just doesn't seem correct. I mean, if if you have the potential to make, I don't know, let's say a couple of million dollars while you're in college – so what if they take away your your scholar your your scholarship and you got the now you have the money to pay for it uh, so so it's a win there um, and and again sometimes look there's tons of people who uh, who they suffer an injury either at the beginning of their pro career and it's done and so the millions of dollars that they would have could have should have made is over with before they get started. Uh, and like I said before, sometimes you, people get burnt out. They're great in college, and then they fizzle out in a, in a, on the next level, the pro circuit or whatever. So I think this is something that is a long time in coming. And it's part of our capitalistic, you know, society. I mean, it, you should be allowed to make money off yourself. Uh, that, that's the whole essence of being uh, excellent, uh, of being here in the United States, of being – uh, in an entrepreneurial environment, uh, it's ridiculous uh, to make somebody wait before they're able to cash in on their on their uh, on themselves. It's just I don't know why it took so long. Yeah, and and you know the idea of, of this indentured servitude, 
where you have to uh, be there for for nothing is is ridiculous. Even in the you know the uh, Ivy League schools, you know, we uh, people get into kids get into uh, college are happy because they're they're going to get an excellent education from these schools. So they use you know as we've seen in this other scandal. Um, rowing and uh, badminton and archery and these other what I'd call club sports um, to get into school, which is fine. If you want to voluntarily participate in a club sport, uh, I think that's a little bit different than uh, the money sports that we're, that we're dealing with. Yes. But that's something that you, you, know, you, 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 you get into because of the, the quality of the, of the education that you're going to get. But even there, if it, during the time that you're actually working for the school, if it's not going to be a club sport, you should at least get minimum wage and, and protection for, with insurance and health insurance. And, you know, there's, there's chances of injuries, and, and you're basically working for the school. You should be entitled to workers' comp to the extent that, that you're injured on the job. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I never even thought about that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, here you are, you're doing all this work for the for the college, you get hurt. And if you can't recover from that injury, they simply just stop helping you. They stop, you know, you're kind of just thrown to the side. Right. If you're especially in a contact sport like football, I mean, the, the, the fact that you may be injured on the job there should be some workers compensation insurance you should also be able to take out some uh, some additional disability insurance for yourself because there's the chances of injury are, are substantial in a college football setting so that sport in particular needs uh, better protection and i think we're on our way there um and so that's that's a topic that that we're moving forward in the the one the other topic I wanted to talk about Bert today was I, I sent you some information on is my uh, representative um, Scott Peters from uh, California. You know we're going into an election year, and he's put in a bill. It's uh, House Bill uh, 4143, and we're talking about the issue now in the election, which uh, who your people are going to vote for, and we have a real issued in this country now with the potential for mass human extinction along with other animals as a result of global warming, which is uh, clearly uh, being man-made now. And uh, Scott has put into legislation uh, laws to, first of all, get rid of what we call super, super, super uh, polluters. These are the ones that are causing the, the most damage to our um, environment and this and the co2 so when we look at this next election are, are we going to reelect a um, a climate um, denier or are we going to elect someone that's going to uh, change the the system because i don't think we have four more years of the c- kind of pollution that we're we're doing now um to, to be able to handle these super polluters the ones they're talking about First of all, is these, these uh, uh, carbon uh, hydrocarbon fluor, uh, fluorocarbons. These are the ones that uh, destroy the ozone, and um, they pass some regulations to, to reduce it. But now it's coming back, and the U.S. is, is like the principal uh, polluter in, in this regard. And we need some additional laws to come into effect to protect it, but we're, we're not going to get it because manufacturers don't want to pay the price of protecting us from this. The other one is methane. 
I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, flares from uh, uh, oil wells and gas wells that, that flare in the air, the methane. Yeah, yeah, now, let's talk about that. Methane is um, is one of the single largest polluters because it puts out 40 times as much uh, immediate CO2 than does you know regular CO2 emissions from, for example, uh, gas exhaust and and other gasoline exhaust. So what we're doing with the, with these other polluters uh, or methane is there's no laws in effect, or uh, there were laws in effect, but they uh, Trump has gotten rid of them uh, that control the uh, emissions from uh, flares from oil and gas wells. So you ha- there's a way to control that to keep uh to keep to stop the flaring to have it recycled and protect the environment from methane uh, pollution but it's not happening and these are this is the kind of thing that that we need to have you know we're we're on our way to allowing uh, mass mass polluters and there, you know as i said at the beginning of the program if money can fix it it's not a problem and there's ways to fix these things if if we can pass some laws and channel some of our dollars uh, towards um, being in a position where we, we have less pollution. Another one is um, electric cars. I mean, we are, I you know, I've had a Tesla now for four years. Uh, my maintenance on the Tesla, so far the only thing I've needed is an uh, a tire air gauge because I had was low on air in my tires. I have had no uh, no mechanical because there's no mechan- there's no engine. You know, there's a right. small electric motor uh, that goes, and it's probably one of the fastest cars on the road. I think, you know, from a dead stop because there's no transmission of the energy to to the wheels. It just goes straight to the wheels. You can, you know, take off faster than any car on the road in an electric car. So the the issue is 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 basically when you drive a, a an electric car, you have what's called a range anxiety. You know, it's you get in the car and you have a certain amount of miles left, and in between, there's not a lot of of supercharged stations. Right. So I don't know if you're familiar with with electric cars, but a supercharger can charge uh, recharge for a 200 to 300 mile range in under an hour. And Tesla has these superchargers out there, but if you're charging at your house or your office, you know it'll take you uh, 10 hours to uh, to get to 200 miles. So no one wants to sit anywhere, t- obviously, 10 hours. But if, if we can make a deal with Exxon and Mobil and Shell and all the other oil companies to say, look, if you put up a um, supercharger in your gas stations, you know, start out with one or two um, um, pumps, and we will pay you, instead of an oil depletion allowance, we'll pay you a oil divergence allowance. That is, if if you can divert the um, energy that's being um, uh, coming out of your your pumps from gasoline to electricity, you'll get the same amount of profit uh, in, in a diversion allowance that you otherwise would have got from selling the oil. But you you won't even have to sell the oil; you can keep it in the ground and just sell the electricity. You know, these are the kind of things that people need to be thinking about outside the box to change the paradigm that we're in right now, because right now we are in a spiral. We are in a spiral where uh, we're just not going to be able to recover from it 
and we're going to see mass extinction of not only our plant life and animal life around the world, but of also of the you know human species themselves. And so this is the where we are at now, and it's something that people need to take seriously. We've got one year before we have an election. And so these are the kind of things that people have to think about going into an election, who they're going to vote for, because if, you, if you're going to vote for Trump, you're going to vote for four more years of the same policies on global warming. And I don't think anybody should risk that. You know, in California today, we have mass fires up and down and the coast because of, of the change in climate. In Texas, you know, mass flooding uh, along the Gulf Coast. In Florida, mass flooding. And we've got this all over the country, and it's not just our country. It's all over the world. You know, we have the Amazon fires where, where it's burning. We have in Siberia methane being released from uh, Siberia because of the melting. The permafrost is melting there. So it's not something that we can say, oh, you know, we aren't responsible for this because, in fact, all the evidence is is that a, a large portion of this is man-made. We are the ones that are destroying our own environment. We are the ones that are going to make this planet uninhabitable for, for the, the, the human race. And so this is something that, you know, I want to kick off um, my discussion of the election. This is the, something I want people to think about. You know, when you talk about money, and money can fix it, it's not a problem. We can fix this. You know, there's some good ideas out there you know, in terms of how it can be fixed. Simply planting trees can fix this. In, in a mass way, you know, underwriting right. that, that kind of work, because pretty soon in between the tropics uh, around the equator, it's going to be so hot during the day that people can't work and crops won't grow. So where are those people going to go? They're going to have to migrate out of the tropics into other areas, you know, and, and the, this mass migration is going to affect all of us because it's going to be a change in lifestyle for everybody in terms of being able to support the people that are migrating. And if we can't, they're, they're going to die off. Right. And, 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 here's, and here's my whole thing. Uh, you know, it doesn't take a scientist uh, to realize that if you have billions of organisms, uh, what do you call it, consuming the resources, you know, of, of, you know, whether it's a planet or, or whatever, there's going to have a massive impact. And I, you know, I just love these people who say, you know, that this climate change is, is, is uh, bogus or whatever. You know, it, again, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a scientist, but you know, bottom line, if, if your house uh, was, uh, was inhabited by, let's say a hundred people, it's going to break down a lot quicker than if it's inhabited by three or four people. And, and it's just that simple. It's the same analogy. Uh, and so that's what's happening to the planet. Whether you believe in, in climate change or not, I don't care. We got to take care of this one infinite resource that we have called planet Earth. And the challenge that I have, Norm, is that, that right now, 
and, and you know this, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, with uh, what do you call it, your your law experience and, and, and things like that. We have a lot of environmental laws in place that these big polluters ignore and violate ad nauseum. And without these laws in place, it's going to get even worse. Because if they're doing it now with a law in place, and now you're giving them permission to pollute at will, it's just going to be total chaos. I mean, it's going to go back to the 1950s where where they were just dumping sludge and toxic uh, uh, chemicals into lakes, into our rivers, into, uh, you know, everywhere. And, and people were dying left and right. Yeah. You know, what, what did Dylan say? You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Right. I mean, this, this is what it is. You're, we're seeing all of it happening before our eyes. And laws make a difference. Laws make a difference. And our legislature and our president makes a difference. And if the president of the United States is going to be kowtowing to oil companies, and to, it, it's going to make a difference because they're not going to have to comply with the laws because they'll, they'll take off all – they are taking off. He's taking off now all these, these regulations on emissions of methane gas from wells. And people are getting – I mean, talk to people in West Texas. They're getting sick from, from the, uh, the, the, the flare-off from the sulfur gas that's coming out with the methane. I mean, it is horrible that this planet is going to be uninhabitable. We got seven billion humans right now living on this planet, and we all the humans are here, and the laws need to be in a position where we can feed them, clothe them, and give them a, a means of support where they can work work to make make money so they live. This is all part of the process. And unless we're all rowing in the same boat in the same direction, it's not going to happen. And so what I'm saying is, is look, it, we've always talked about it being an adversary system between corporations and labor. And it, 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 it's not going to change because that's, that's what it is. And the idea of an adversary system, make it a win-win situation. Make it a win for Exxon to um, stop uh, use, uh, you know, putting methane into the environment. Make it a win for Exxon and Mobil and Shell to put up supercharged um, uh, stations at all of their locations so that people can recharge their car in 30 minutes or less. You know, make it a win for them. I have no trouble with, with, with profits being made, but we have to have them made in the right direction so we can save this planet. And that's what this election's coming down to. We're a year away from it. And it's it's really serious, you know, of where we're ended up. We don't know who the Democratic nominee is, and we, I'm sure from all of them there'll be something we don't like. But at the end of the day, the biggest issue, this is the existential issue, the one that's going to affect whether or not our children and grandchildren have a place to live or this place is uninhabitable, is our position on climate change and what we're going to do to stop polluting this environment. I mean, we have to be good stewards of this planet. That's what, what it's about, and that's what the choice is going to be in this election. Sure. You know what, and, and, and I love the fact that, that you, you, and you said that a couple of different times or a couple of different ways, that, you know, that, that uh, we can take care of it. We have the ability, and, and, and I also like the fact that you're saying, let's make it a win-win for everybody, because let me tell you, clean water and clean air 
should not be a partisan decision. It shouldn't be that, hey, uh, you know, if you vote for this party, you get clean water and clean air. If you vote for this party, you're going to get massive pollution. It shouldn't be that. It can be a win-win. You know, uh, we and, and we're again, we're we're slow to react sometimes. And because, as you mentioned, we're in this adversarial system, sometimes what is best for the environment uh, collides with the economy. It collides with affecting thousands of jobs. I mean, you know, California was one of the first companies to outlaw plastic in, in uh, we call it plastic bags. And shortly after they outlawed plastic bags in the grocery stores and all those other places, people started coming up with biodegradable plastic bags. Well, why didn't you do this before? You saw the writing on the wall. You could have been a leader and step up to it and make it a win-win. But it just it's just human nature that sometimes we do not act until, until our feet are put to the fire kind of a thing. And so uh, I wholeheartedly agree that it's the smartest thing to do is to work with these massive companies and make it a win-win for everybody. And it's not going to hurt them. It may make more jobs. It may, may it'll make everything better. It's, it's, it certainly can be done if they have the desire to do so. Right. And we have to get off this inertia. Everybody, you know, is, is afraid for change, but this is the kind of change that the handwriting's on the wall and it has to be a win-win. You know, instead of paying the oil companies for for using oil, which is called a depletion allowance, which is, it, and I don't know if people are familiar with this, but they actually pay oil and gas companies an allowance for using an, uh, oil and gas. In other words, the more you use, the more your allowance you'll get from the government in terms of taxes. Well, make it a divergence allowance. The less oil and gas you use, we'll pay you yes. in terms of diverting it. Instead of you having to sell oil and gas, you can sell electricity and make just as much money with this divergence allowance. Because, you know, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. And we need to throw our money not at the polluters to continue to encourage them to pollute more. We need to throw our money at the polluters to encourage them to change and stop the pollution, and we'll help pay for it. I'll, I'm happy to have my tax dollars go to ending pollution rather than encouraging uh, polluters to pollute more. That's the whole concept of laws and the allocation of funds. When you take money from taxes and spend it wisely, we can, have, we can be the leader in the world of ending uh, you know, air and water pollution. We can do it. But it's going to take a different administration than the current president because this guy's off the charts in terms of, of being in the pocket of polluters. It's just it's something that we need to recognize. Yeah, I, and, and you know what? Uh, I, I totally agree with that. He, unfortunately, President Trump um, has made it it appears, anyway, it seems like one of his mission is to unwind any environmental protection that's been in, put in place in the last 20 years. Uh, it seems as though he has become very callous uh, to, uh, I guess, the, the future of our environment. And, you know, to me, it, it's such a short 
vision, uh, you know, what do you call it? Sh- short-sightedness, right? That, that, and which is what the problem is. I mean, uh, people keep dumping pollution and, and their thought is, well, you know, somebody else ought to worry about that. And, and, you know, you can only do that for so long before your house is full of trash and now you can't live in it. Right. It's an existential threat to the, to our world and what we live in and for our children and our grandchildren and in generations to come. And we recognized that when we had lead in our gasoline, I'd get, I don't know if you were around then, but I was. And all of a sudden, sure. everybody realized, well, this, this lead is making everybody stupid. So we got to get it out of our gas tank, and they did it. Yeah. And so it's not well, something you know what? that can't be done. And, 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 and I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, we had the same problem with lead paint. We had another problem with asbestos. And every time that the government came in and said, hey, this is no longer acceptable, they came up with a new standard that was a win-win. Right. It's not, not you know, we it. have a history of success. You know, I'm for, we, and we've talked about this before. The CEO of a company is not going to do something that's going to cost the company more and, and it decrease the profits because he'll be fired if he does. But if he's ordered to do something because of a law, and the law in turn, he can then react to it to make as much or more money for his company, he'll do it. And so we all got to get on the same side of, this, of the page. We got to get back into the Paris uh, environmental accords, we have to start working as, as a world and first as a country to, to turn this ship around, and it is a big ship, and turn yeah. this ship around because this is the number one issue in the next election. Cause, so this is why I really wanted to talk about it as kind of a kickoff um, for, the, for the next year of things we talk about. But remember, everybody out there, you know, this is the number one issue, and this is, to me, this is a disqualification for for Trump because everything else, uh, there's other things that, you know, he, he may have his good points or his bad points on, but this existential issue is one where he, he eliminates himself from my consideration for my vote uh, for good. I mean, this is, yeah. this is the, the one thing that people should look at and say, Hey, there, we don't have four years. We really don't have four more years. And uh, if we get uh, Trump in for four more years, there there may be no turning back because the, the temperature will be so high that we can't get there. Right now in in Siberia, uh, the permafrost that we have, they're trying to keep the temperature across the world of, of less than 1.5 degrees centigrade, and it's already four, increased four degrees centigrade in in uh, Siberia, and they're coming out of the ice is old woolly mammoths from the last ice age. And buried in this ice is all of this methane that was trapped when it froze at the uh, beginning of the last ice age. And now the water's melting, the, the ice is melting, and the methane's being released, which in methane gas is a terrible polluter right away. It's, it's awful. It's 40 times as strong as, as CO2 itself. And so, and there, it's in Russia. I mean, it's a, it's the size of, of of half the United States. This area. Right. And so, unless we can get together with the Russians and come up with some type of campaign for for putting in trees to to capture the uh, this gas or other ways to stop it, uh, this is something that's going to be irreversible for the rest of the world. 
So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, I just I, I, I just sent you an email too. Uh, you know, regarding uh, Congressman Scott Peters, I think I think it might be worthwhile uh, seeing what his schedule's like, seeing we get both you guys on the show to talk about this. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you brought this up. People don't understand again that the, that there are some places that we have these massive pockets of methane gas that are that unless we do something immediately, we're going to escalate our situation. It's it's just you know, when you start thinking about something as big as the size of, what did you say, half of the U.S., and, and, and we don't know how much is in there, this, is, this could have a serious impact globally. Right. And, and every, you know, think of all the gas wells and oil wells around the world that are, are flaring off methane every minute. It just keeps going and going and going. And we, have no, we had laws that would protect it. We got rid of them. So, in, in fact, the Shell Oil Company came back and said, you know, I'm going to comply with the old law. Even though uh, Trump tells me I don't have to, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. So, you know, you do get some companies that, that have some responsibility, but very few. And so it's you have to have a law that, that protects us. And and this president's not that guy. No, no, he's not. Um, and, and you know what? The great thing about it is that we as citizens have a lot of of uh, power. We have a lot of control. We can do things. Uh, you know, we can uh, communicate with our own representatives and really make our voices heard. This is what our system's all about. And yeah. and I love this idea that you've come up with about making it a win-win. It, you know not trying to destroy the oil industry because we need them, but certainly they have the, the mental capacity as well as financial capacity to make it a win-win. Yeah. And you can't put a, a, a supercharger in your house. I mean, you just can't do it. They're just too expensive and too big, but you can put them at all the existing gas stations around the country so that, People can drive, not only drive locally and commute with an electric car, but they can uh, drive across country with, in an electric car. And it's, it's easy to do. You can start with a few pumps as you go, and, but you can entice uh, the oil companies to do this with a, uh, a divergence allowance and get this going right away. And then when you get your car home, you can plug it into the, the wall and charge it overnight, and you're, you're all set. And you know people do that or at work. You do it. So there's a way to do it. Once we get gasoline is not the fuel for people need to move their car. That's going to make a huge difference, too. You know, we'll be on our way. So there's a lot of things that can be done that aren't being done that won't be done if this president is reelected. And so it's an existential threat that it's, you know, it's a cross out for him. He can't be voted for because he's just going to stand in the way of protecting uh, the, the world from mass extinction of, of the human race. All right, Norm, thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to having you back again. And uh, as you said, you know, I think, I think the topic that you've kicked off this, uh, this election um, issue with is, is phenomenal. I think that this is something that uh, is really about everybody. It's not, and it should not be a, a partisan issue. It should be, everybody should be focused on making the environment 
healthier, better, cleaner for everybody. So I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Always a pleasure, Bert. And remember, all of this is going to increase the labor force because there's so many jobs out there for this new clean economy that we're going to uh, start in the, in the, with the next president. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Norm, thank you so much. Sure, Bert. Good stuff there from Norm Blumenthal. If you have questions regarding Norm Blumenthal, if you want to just uh, reach out to him, uh, you can reach out to him at BAMLawCA.com. That's BAMLawCA.com. Uh, as always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone you know. Let's help as many people as we can to get involved and to vote and to hear their voice. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.